Talk Recorded live. Shabbat shalom, shalom sisters. Shalom. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. All right, so I guess we should get started. Um, this conference is going to be about keeping vows and making covenants. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard this or seen some type of in way, but sometimes um, the men in Israel, they believe that keeping vows to the Father is important, which it is, and they believe that keeping vows to their uh, to other brethren is important, which it is, but they don't believe that keeping vows to the sisters or their wives are important which is not true. Anytime people make a vow, they are supposed to complete that vow at any cost. If you can't keep a vow, you should not make a vow. It's just that simple. Um, We... Our covenant keepers, as as far back as Adam and Eve, think covenants were made, and there were consequences to when covenants were made, and the per, the people, one of the parties that did not keep the vow or the covenant, had repercussions. Repercussions. So we remember that in the last conference, that when vows are made. Shedding of blood is done where an animal is killed, that animal is cooked, and is eaten by the parties who are involved in the covenant. And the the animal is actually cut into pieces. And that represents that if a person who is in the covenant relationship, who has now come into covenant, if they do not follow that covenant, that the things that the, the cutting up of that animal is a representation of what should happen to the person that doesn't keep the covenant. The first sign of us seeing that a covenant was made, well, not the first sign, but there's one interesting thing I don't think that a lot of people take heed to. We have in, I think it's Exodus. Let me just get there. I believe it's Exodus, the 20th chapter. Just give me one second. When we first came out of Egypt and the Father set us aside and we made a, a ketubah, or he gave us the ketubah, and we were on Mount Sinai, and we heard what the Father required of us. And we said, I do to what it was that he required of us. Once we said I do, we then became we we came in an agreement of what the father was presenting. When Moshe went up to the mountain and apparently Israel felt that he took too long to come down, they decided to make a golden calf out of the the um jewels, the gold that the father gave them before they left Egypt. Um, they made this golden calf and said, here's the Elohim that took us out of Egypt. 
Now, when Moshe came back down the mountain, he seen this, and he was pissed. So he broke the tablets. That was symbolic of him, um, the covenant being over. But one important thing is that when Israel did that, they weren't held guiltless. They were guilty because the one of the things that the father said is when he took us out of Egypt was, thou shalt not have any other Elohims before me. In my mind, what I see when he says that, because I look at all of the scriptures as a relationship, a husband and a wife relationship. When I hear, read that, I see he's telling me, I am your husband and you should have no other husband before me. So when Israel did that, they faced the punishment. Shedding the blood had to happen. Israel agreed to the covenant. They broke the covenant. So shedding of blood had to happen. They were told Moshe took the the golden calf, grinded it up into dust, made them drink it, and 3,000 people died because they broke the covenant. So we see here how important keeping a vow, when you make a vow, keeping it, if you don't keep it, it, it causes can cause severe consequences. Is there any questions so far? Hello? I'm here, but I don't have any questions yet. Oh, I thought I got disconnected. Okay. Um, we see in another instance in Judges 11.30, um, chapter 11 and verse 30. And Japheth vowed a vow unto Yahuwah and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon unto my hands, then it should be that whosoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace with the children of Ammon shall surely be Yahuwah's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, Jasper, he made a vow. He had to keep that vow. No matter what came through his door, his threshold, he had to keep that vow. Unfortunately, it was his daughter that came through. Um, and it caused him great pain. But if you're making a vow, as I said before, you have to be cautious on what it is that you're you're vowing or making a promise for. You have to be very cautious because the father expects that you will keep up your end of the the bargain to make um, good on that vow. Then um, let's look at Numbers 30 and 1. Numbers 30 and 1. This is the father speaking to Moshe. And Moshe spoke unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Yasharel. This is the thing which um, Yahuwah hath commanded. If a man make a vow 
If a man vow a vow unto Yahuwah, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to that all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Like I said before, when we come into a marriage covenant and that ketubah is, is made, that man is saying to that woman, when you become my wife, I'm going to do these things, which are the duties of a man, and how he's going to provide and protect and all of those things. Now, when you come into a covenant relationship and you agree to that, you come into covenant relationship, for some reason, men, some, some men feel that once she becomes his wife, he no longer has to abide by the vows that he made prior to her saying, I accept those vows. So he does everything contrary to that ketubah. A lot of women ask, well, if a man does that, then what now do I do? What is the consequences of him not following those, those, that contract or that ketubah? Um, in times before, you had judges who would judge the situation and make a judgment on, on the matter. Now we we not not so much have that, and I can't really I don't know the the answer in this day and time to that question. What happens if a man makes a ketubah and makes vows to a woman and he doesn't follow him? Can she? I'm always asked, can she divorce him? Can she give him a bill of divorce? Um, I've asked a, a brother to help me with that, find an answer out to that because I know that's like the burning question amongst the women of Israel, and I'm still trying to get the answer to that. Mayana, are you there? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add to that? Not yet. Okay. Um One other thing, let's go into Deuteronomy twenty three twenty two. Um, the father says that it's basically best not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Deuteronomy twenty three twenty two. What if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. Because if you never vow the vow, then how can you sin if you don't com- complete the vow? And a lot of people, men are, what they're doing is they're making these vows and they're sinning because they're not keeping the vows that they made um, in their marriage contract. So, um, keeping vows are, are very extremely important um, so that you don't sin or you don't cause trans- a transgression. One, um, to get away from making and keeping vows a little bit. One thing I found was interesting is that a lot of times um, 
women say, I hear women and men say this, that they don't need any sign that a vow was made or a covenant was made. And to each his own. Who who feels that whoever feels that way, that's fine. To each his own. But there were things that were given or done um or landmarks that was in place so that when people so that you can remember that there was a vow made. One scripture I find interesting is is Genesis 20, the 38th chapter. When Judah was supposed to give his youngest son so that Tamar can have children because her husband died. Why do you think it was so important for her? When he said that um, he didn't know who she was, and he said, um, you know, let me come unto you, come in unto you, and I'll give you a kid. You know, when he gets, when he was able to give her a kid, he would send it back to her. Why do you think it was important that she required? She asked him of three things: his signet, his bracelet, and his staff. Can anyone answer? I can answer, but that's not fair. You guys have to answer. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to try to answer. Okay. Um, I think it was important because she knew that there was the possibility that he would lie, that he would say he would send it, send the task, and that he wouldn't. And also because she knew that she would be called a whore and, and would have to face those consequences by her ending up pregnant by him. And she wanted to prove who the father of the child was and her reasons for doing what she did. Okay. Anybody, anyone else want to add? I was thinking the same, pretty much just to prove that, you know, it was him because these were his belongings. Yeah, they were they were personal to him. They his signet. She asked him for his signet, and that signet had his personal label on it. That was personal to him. She asked him for his bracelet and his staff. When I see that, that those to me are three witnesses. Because, like you said, now it came to a point where they found out she was pregnant, and she was going. They was going to put her to death for um, adultery or for harlotry. They were going to put her to death. But she had her three witnesses, her brace, the bracelet, the staff, and the signet. Those bore witness that she was with Judah and nobody else. That they had made a covenant, um, a, an agreement, and that she was not playing the harlot. It's interesting that a lot of sisters feel that when a man is interested in her and he now wants to make her his wife, she never feels the need that he should give her anything as a sign that they are now in betrothal, covenant relationship with one another. 
um, a lot of sisters are giving up their rights to even ask for tokens to show that they're in relationship with this man or that they're set apart for this particular man. When you don't have those tokens, a man can easily say, I didn't know her. I'm not with her. I didn't promise her anything. I want to add something to this part of the lesson. Um, The three things that are being identified have a very particular significance that I think it's important to note. Those three things are the signet ring, the bracelets, and the staff. And what historical significance each of those items have is that... Hello? Yes. The significance that each of does everyone hear me? I'm here. Okay. The significance that all of those items have is that the signet ring, as already indicated, was a personal item, but it was a personal item because it bore his name. And the the function of a signet ring was it was a seal. It was if, if someone were to do a property transaction or a legal transaction transaction or anything having to do with um making an agreement between parties, they would seal it with their ring. It, it was a it was a personal kind of seal that had their name on it to authenticate documents and authenticate um, authenticate transactions between people. It was literally um, handing, so he literally handed over to her the ability to confer things in his name because the loss of that signet ring, in all intents, for all intents and purposes, she could very well make transactions in his name because she had his seal. Um, we have discussed in other places the significance of the bracelet. The bracelet in marriage traditions um, for Hebrews replaces wedding rings. We don't have wedding rings in our marriage traditions, but we do have bracelets. Um, Judah's own mother received, no, Judah's grandmother received bracelets as part of her wedding process. And the staff, um, whenever we look at the use of the staff, the staff was what indicated was one of the things that indicated that, that person was in authority or that person had the ability to lead. And this was one of the items that that indicated Judah's authority. It was indicative of his authority. And he handed over all three of those extremely essential, extremely powerful tokens to this woman. Yes. Yep. And she not because she wanted to, but because she understood the she understood the implications of all three of those items. She was aware of what all three of those items meant for her. In addition to being able to say, oh, look, I can prove that it was you because these are your personal items, these are items that she had in her possession, the types of things that um, that that, necess- that he necessarily was saying, I'm going to give over these things. You would really have to think about what was going on in his head to, to turn over something of, of that kind of magnitude to this mm-hmm. woman. Yeah. 
that's the like one thing you have to but the the other thing is the presence of mind that tomorrow I have to have to know what to request. She could have requested his robe, you know, because in in the case of his own brother, Joseph's robe was you know highly significant. Like if you saw Joseph's colorful robe, you knew what that meant. You know, so Jacob's robe was probably something that was personal to him. So she asked for that. She asked for his sandals. In other places in our in our culture, if um, for example, if this actually the story has to do with the law of the leveret. In the law of the leveret, if the man forfeits his right and obligation to a widow, she has to take off his sandal. That's a in front of the public and spit at him. She gets to spit at him in front of everybody. Un- unlatching someone's sandal was also a way of of uh, embarrassing or humiliating a man in public. She could have asked for his sandals. She could have asked for a number of things, but she specifically requested those three items, all of which carry those specific um, meanings. And that's what I wanted to add to this part of the conversation. Hi, I had a question. Yes. I just wanted to know um, where in the scripture it doesn't mention the three items. Where in scripture does it mention what? The three items. Oh, this um, is Genesis 38, 18th verse. Yeah. I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? Genesis, the 38th chapter, the 18th verse. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I find interesting also is that um, let me see. Also, and I and I don't want anybody to take this personally, but um, when women got married, they were expected to be virgins, and and, and don't say, oh, I'm I'm not a virgin, so if I get married, that that's not even the issue. But Hebrew in Hebrew culture, and we're trying to get back to that state state. When women were married, they were considered to be virgins. When a man and woman consummated a relationship, the token of that consummation, the sign of that consummation was her hymen was broken and the blood was on the sheet. Her family, her parents stood outside, collected the sheet so that just in case this man decided, well, she wasn't a virgin when I married her, the parents can present the evidence that token, to the judges. So um, this, having tokens of a covenant relationship and an agreement is not a bad thing, not a bad thing at all. It, It actually protects both parties, not just the man or the woman. It, it protects both parties. Um, this point should be understood in terms of virginity that, yes, you know, a lot of women who come into the truth and come into this understanding um, are no longer physical versions. That's something that's just a fact. But it's mentioned here specifically because, as mentioned earlier, there's a lot of push against um, having tokens. Like women have been conditioned to forego 
having physical tokens, saying, oh, we don't need anything in writing. It's something that black women are very proud of saying. We don't need anything in writing. We don't want the government in our business. We don't. Um, uh, we we can pinky swear our way into this holy covenant, something that we we accept and we think that it's, it's especially righteous to not have any documentation. But the fact is that probably because so many women are not coming into this as physical virgins, you do need to have something in writing because you don't have that bloody sheet to attest to your covenant and your vow and your marriage the way our mothers did. Because in Deuteronomy, the, the, the man could at some point say, you know, I found someone cleanliness with her and make based all kinds of charges against her. And she could go home because she had that physical thing. But no, no, dude, that's not what happened. Because it, contrary to what we were taught in other spaces, the penalty for adultery is not divorce. The penalty for adultery is and always was death. You died. There was no let's go and get a divorce. You didn't get a brand new shining spouse. What you got was death. So to have those tokens was very literally something that protected you and your life in that. And another thing that is repeated here but not in other spaces is that marriages were not done between individuals. Oh, I love him. Oh, he loves me. These were not things that you heard between our ancestors. It was more the case that this family was a good match for that family and they agreed on property and values and inheritance and how they were going to enlarge one another on this very generational scale. And these other intimate details of individuality were not part of our Hebraic outline and, and culture. It wasn't part of our the architect uh, the architect of our of our um understanding for this particular paradigm. The reason that these, this, this, I think it's the last installment of our marriage conferences, um, is revisiting and focusing and emphasizing the necessity of covenants is because it's the thing that protects you and the thing that we're finding that women are the most likely to write themselves out of. We understand that you need a writ of divorce. Somehow that's easier for us to impart to the sisters, they understand that they need this written piece of paper to free them of a, of a, of a relationship that is no longer holy. But they don't understand why they would necessarily have this written instrument that would identify that they have gone into this covenant. Ketubah is a word that you've heard so far in this in this um, conference. It doesn't necessarily mean covenant. It means written. It doesn't mean covenant. It means written. It means it's a written instrument. It's something that has been committed to writing. That's what a ketubah is. The fact that we use it in these contexts is what makes it um, about the marriage covenant. But as um, also stated previously, these covenants have always been a physical thing. And the most high... Um, Gave us put the flood together and decided that he was basically going to reset all of creation, and he made a covenant that he would never come to us. And with that particular mode of destruction, he gave us a sign. There's a this is a covenant. This is evidence of the covenant between you and I, and we are supposed to always look at this rainbow. It's a physical 
um, observable covenant. It's something that it's more than, oh, we have this agreement. The Most High is like, if you look at this, every time you see this sign, you'll be, you'll be reminded of the covenant that I have between you and I. When um, Jacob's father-in-law said, listen, I know that I put you in this position. You have both of my daughters, but I need you to promise me that you're not going to add anybody else. They put stones between them and said, look, this is, a, this is evidence of our covenant. Let these things be witnesses between you and I. There's something um, tangible, physical, and observable that is a covenant between between us. Um, again, we you know this issue of there being the the um, this is the wedding sheets, another physical, observable covenant item. Earlier, um, the sister spoke about the commandments, the Most High having this um, covenant relationship with us, and there is these physical, tangible, observable things that we call the commandments as an example of that covenant. Um, even the sacrificial rituals that we have as parts, and that is also physical, tangible, and observable evidence of this covenant. And this idea that we as women don't deserve to have those things has to be unprogrammed. We have to be reprogrammed to understand our value and have those expectations and have those standards because it's our lack of standards that are keep, that's keeping us unsafe. Yeah, exactly. We even see when um, when Abraham sent his servant to get Isaac a wife, Rebecca, that the servant didn't come empty-handed. He he came and gave her gifts, and those were her um, bridal gifts. So he gave her gifts as a token because now she she agreed to become his master's wife. Because we have in Genesis twenty four fifty three, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and gave them to Rebecca. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So, like Mariana said, to say, well, you know what, I don't, and it, you don't have to necessarily get a wedding ring, maybe a bracelet, a necklace, whatever tickles your fancy. Um, I don't need those things. Um, I don't want those things. That's fine. But to, it, it's not coming from our culture. That type of thinking is not coming from our culture because it's well list referenced in Scripture that when a man pursued a woman and had to, wanted to take her as a wife, he did give her gifts prior to them consummating the marriage. He did give those gifts to her. Even... Um, I know, Mayanna, you said you wanted to talk about Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. With over the, to you. Huh? Yeah, we were going to go over that, too. We're going to Ezekiel. Even the Father gave us gifts um, before we left Egypt. <clears throat> you want to do that now? Um, well, you're at Rebecca now, right? Yeah. Well, I'm done with Rebecca. Well, okay, we're building on the events of, Re- of Rebecca. We can pretty much pick up from there. There's a lesson in our sister group 
that that kind of addresses this idea of our wedding rings pagan. And that touches on um, the inclusion of bracelets and why bracelets were significant in the role that they played. Um, this is our June 25th um, post in our group. And, you know, the argument that wedding rings are pagan is valid. Wedding rings do not have a Hebraic impetus or origin, but jewelry is not a pagan um, staple. It is indeed something that is perfectly Hebraic, um, as mentioned, Rebecca, the mo- who's the mother of all of Israel. She's literally the mother of Israel. And these are the things that happen to Israel's mother. So to say, oh, that's just some random instance, say, oh, we shouldn't make too much uh, of it. Let's not make a big deal about Rebecca having this. Rebecca is Israel's mother. And this is how Rebecca was addressed and treated and approached. Okay, so she's not some random, insignificant ancestor that we should overlook. So she was given um, a golden earring of a half-shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10-shekel weight. So we see this bracelet again. You remember previously we we heard, uh, we discussed that Tamar asked for his bracelets. And I said to you when we were going over that, that that was significant to our marriage traditions. And we see here why. Rebecca, the mother of Israel, was given bracelets as part of her wedding tradition. These bracelets were of ten shekel weight of gold. Now, these these um, ideas of shekels and such, they mean nothing to us. We don't know what a shekel is. We don't know how to, to convert that. But the fact is this. Um, we, know, we know from uh, artifacts that what, what a, a half shekel, I think it's a half shekel. I have to check our notes to see. Uh, a single shekel weighs about 10.5 grams. That's a one shekel. One shekel would have been 10.5 grams. Um, to convert that, you should know that 31.1 grams is in an ounce of gold. So to um, she didn't have, she had 10 shekels worth of, of gold on each hand. What that amounts to is about, if you had just one ounce of gold, that's about $1,173 worth for just one ounce of gold, 31 grams of gold. She probably has somewhere worth somewhere about $3,000 worth of gold in bracelets. So this is not a, a, a small token that Abraham is sending out there. Okay, this is, we, we are told endlessly about uh, Abraham's wealth. He has a, He's making a demonstration of his wealth to this other part of the family, and that, that has more to has more to do with him demonstrating his ability and preparedness to take care of this woman. Like my family can sustain this woman. If you give this woman to us, she's not going to be in danger. She'll be protected. We can afford to include her in our household. That's one of the things that these things demonstrate. But this is what bracelet is. Um. To see some other significance other than the monetary, because I know as black women we're told, to, oh, you know, you can't ask for the guy to have too much money. It's, it's you know, a horrible, horrible thing for a black woman to have standards, God forbid. So instead, let's look at the Hebrew and see what these bracelets um, signify other than 
their monetary value in the fact that they demonstrate that a man can take care of her. The Hebrew word is um it's well, briefly. Yeah, it's um it's the Hebrew it's, word it's, for it's listed, is, um it's listed as a Hebrew number six seven eight one. If you're looking in the Strong's it's Tasamid. Um, right. The Hebrew number is seven it's um six seven eight one in the Strong's. Do you do you want to give the definition or can I? I I'll give it. Um it and also I find useful when I use the strongs with the Jeff Brenner lexicon, Hebrew Bible um Hebrew lexicon. It means trappings. Uh wait a minute, that's the wrong one. Oh yeah. It means joined together or covering. Right, means covering. Um, it's bracelet. It means covering for a vessel, so-called, because of being bound. So when you go, so you from that part, you can go and look at the root. The root is the Hebrew number six seven seven five, and it's tasamat, which means to bind, to join, or to fasten. So the root word of the word that gives us bracelet means to bind, to join, and to fasten. So it's the symbol does have a lot, symbolically, semiotically, it does have a lot to do with the bond itself. It symbolizes the binding, the joining together, the fastening, um, that covenant issue is still symbolically represented in even that item, the way, you know, attaching the same significance that others would would attach to rings. We do correctly Hebraically attach that to bracelets. When a when a man is giving a woman a gift, like Mayana said, it, it binds her to him. They're bind they they're binded together, like she said, as a ring. When people put a ring on that ring finger, um, then a person who sees that woman, she knows that she's set apart for her for a particular man. So those gifts shows that she's set apart for him. They're quiet. You guys don't have any questions. <laughs> no, right? Y'all just yeah. y'all just absorbing and all. No, I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> this is thugs. I'm just listening because you know I'm a listener. You know I'm a I'm a listener and I'm a reader. But basically, what I'm taking from it is that you know, you know, because I have I have daughters. I have you know five actually. I have three here and I have two that's out of town. And basically, you know, what this lesson is telling me is that I, you know, when, when someone is asking, you know, for my daughter's hand, because they're all getting older now, I have girls in college. It's like, I have to make sure that these, this man is going to be able to take care of her. And one of the, you know, and one of the things that I, I, I hear from the men is that, you know, we shouldn't ask for, you know, the money shouldn't matter and, you, you know, things like that. But it's like I don't want to, you know, give my daughter to someone who's not going to be able to, you know, take care of her as, as her father and I have. So I'm writing all this down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is the point. There are a lot of things that we have forfeited and foregone because 
as black women, we were taught that, listen, you know, you really can't ask these guys so much. It's wrong to expect too much from the brothers. That somehow the rider die chick is the ideal model for black womanhood. But the fact is that those are not sustainable solutions. Those are not Hebraic solutions. Those do not model what our ancestors did, followed, or advocated for, and we are making a mockery of all the things that we have decided to embrace. Right. Yeah, right. Now this, I'm sorry, can I ask a question? Um, You said that you guys were looking in um, the Hebrew lexicon? Yeah, what I do, what I do is I use um, the strong concordance. Okay. Alongside with the ancient Hebrew Hebrew lexicon. Okay. That's what um I normally do. So I don't know. I I think. For me, I get a, a little better understanding. Right. I just thought that it was it was so interesting when it said the bracelet means covering. Like that was, you know, I had the mute on, but I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I was like, I got very excited about that. I don't know why, but that just, I just got very excited about that. Like, because they, you know, I hear sometimes, you know, just like um, Mayana was saying about the, about the, the rings being pagan. So what are we supposed to do and why are you not teaching that there is supposed to be something? So if there's no rings, how else is how, how else are we supposed to significant um, I mean to to say that I'm yours or I it, it doesn't make any sense why this is not being taught. Oh, it makes sense. I'm it I'm a no it does. <laughs> it makes plenty of sense. You have to understand that there, there's a, a particular agenda against you knowing. It's an unfair and unfortunate agenda against you knowing. But that's why um, when you see a lot of my posts and a lot of the lessons that I present for the women, it's usually under the stamp of Hebrew women do study. Literacy is not unlawful. You know, the name of our group is, you know, it, you, you just have to own. This is one of the things that... Um, our sister emphasizes the most is that there's certain parts of this that women have to own. There's a certain part in this that we have to say, you know what, we're accountable for that. That's kind of our fault. We we embrace that. We accepted that. We chose to parrot that. And these are the consequences of our lack of due diligence. Right. And but we, sometimes I feel, I feel like in, and sometimes it's like I see something on there and I know it's not right. Like I can really feel it that, okay, this is not right. I, I'm, I sometimes I find myself afraid to say something, you, you know, because I don't yeah. know. I'm getting out of that. I'm, I'm really getting out of that. The more that I that that I read and I and I study, because I want to be, you, you know, really learned in in everything. But sometimes I feel as though, oh my gosh, they're I'm, they're going to come to my house and throw bricks <laughs> <laughs> or, or something if I say that. No, this does not feel right. Like I do not feel like I'm just supposed to just be quiet. I just don't get it. Yeah, you're not. You're not. You're not supposed to just be quiet. That goes elsewhere in one of the in one of the presentations that um, I made. I I I I say to to women that the 
in the beginning, when we have Genesis in the first chapter, the Most High makes both male and female in the first chapter. Both male and female are made, made he them. Both male and female are given dominion. This is important. Both male and female are given dominion over the earth, the land, and sea, animals. Both male and female are given the, are given the commandments to be fruitful and multiply. These are the, the responsibilities and obligations of both male and female from the beginning. But only the woman is given the unique, is uniquely tasked with being neat. When the Most High looks at the male, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me make him a meat help. Let me make a meat help for him. Meat is, is featured as a separate word. It means worthy, suitable, appropriate, and fit. Women are required to be that. That's a unique thing that women are tasked with being, meat. And it's a, it's a very old word. It's an old English word that means worthy, suitable, appropriate, and fit. That's your job. That's what you were designed to do. So if you're sitting around being inactive, if you're sitting around accepting nonsense, you are 100% doing something contrary to what your design is. There's nothing worthy about that, nothing fit or appropriate about that. His job is to maintain the order that the Most High has set. Your job is to uphold it. How can you uphold it if you know nothing? If you don't know what's going on, you can't say, babe, that's, that's, let's look at that again. You don't know. And if you're not talking, what happens if he's in danger? You're not going to say anything? You're going to let harm come to him because you couldn't talk? That's not your job. That's not worthy, suitable, appropriate, or fit. What good are you? If you can't contribute to the dialogue that's happening, what good are you? What's the point of you? It is not good for man to be alone, but if you are quiet, you're not participating. He's still alone. You're just sitting next to him. He's alone, though, because you're not contributing. <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and see, a lot of the times, a lot of the times, see, I'm, I'm not quiet. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to, if something's not right, I'm going to be like, um, no. I'm, I'm going to say it's not right. But I've always been told that, oh, um, you need to, you know, calm down or you need to, nah. It's always it's always way presented to your husband also, because um, when I first got married, I used to be very vocal. You know, I'm not you're not up in this and that, and that caused more problems than it it, it helped. I, over 22 years now, I think I've kind of mastered it better. It's all in the way that I present things to him, that he listens to me better than if I'm aggressive, too aggressive. Right. He's going to now receive what I'm saying. One one thing also too is um is she not only has to be meat for him and suitable he has to already have he already had to be prepared to be suitable for her because if a man is not suitable to be a husband right not be getting married if a woman is not suitable to be a wife she should not be getting married right they have right. to be suitable for one another. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you, it's all in the delivery of how you talk to your husband. Like Mayana said, it's no good if you don't know Torah and you're supposed to be there to remember what she said. She was given dominion also. So how can she help, help him rule 
if she doesn't know Torah? Right. How can she help him rule if she doesn't say anything or she's not an active participant? Now, that's not to mean that now she's going to – um she is now going to overrule her husband, but uh-huh. they they have to co in, coexist together in, in one accord. And in order to do that, they both have to be following Torah, going in the same direction. Right. Um, when I mean in the same direction, they they have to be both following Torah. There's no other way around it. If she doesn't know Torah because he didn't teach her, and because she never picked up the book to read it. Right. Then she she has she's no good to him. She's right. no good to the relationship. Everybody no good to the nation. Let's let's keep it on it. She's no good to the nation. She's not serving. No, exactly. She's not doing her more more than not contributing to the household of her husband. She's not doing her father's business. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And like you said, she's not contributing to the nation because that's what it's all about. And and um, Miami's posted so many times before how in this society it's an individual society. Everybody's concerned about individuality. In certain other societies, like Middle Eastern societies and things like that, they're more collectivistic. Com- um, right. They want everything is revolved around everybody else that's going on around her. It's a community thing. Right. And that's how Hebrew culture was. Right. If you weren't any good for the community, then you can't be in the community. Right. Right. It wasn't so much, I don't need you, we don't need you. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) The community does not need you. But to continue with what we're, and not that this is an important, but just to go a little further into what we were discussing, because our sister did bring up um, that I was going to discuss Ezekiel with you. So those of you that have your skulls, we're going to go into Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. And we're going to touch on two things. The first we're going to touch on, we're going to touch on the things that we are concentrating on, those things being marriage, the accoutrements of marriage and covering. Um, so assuming that everybody is at Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 6th verse, um, we're going to go into this space, and there it describes where the prophet Ezekiel is revisiting the, the, the state of the nation of Israel. And I want you to pay attention to a lot of the language because a lot of the language should. Let me ask a question to the women that we have on the conference. How many of you have heard reference at nauseum Isaiah 4 and 1? <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that Israelite women who know nothing else know Isaiah 4 and 1. (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah 4 and 1 um, follows Isaiah the third chapter, and there are parts of Isaiah the third chapter that women will be familiar with. It's the part where the head of Zion, the daughters of Zion, has been cursed, and she's got scabs and such, and, you know, all this is happening to the daughters of Zion. So um, you're going to see Ezekiel revisit revisit that that concept. He's going to 
draw on a lot of that images, a lot of that imagery. So when we look at Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, um, I thought you can read the sixth verse that has to do with the fact that uh, the daughters of Zion are polluted in their own blood and he's washing away that pollution. In seven, he says, I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great. Thou art come, ex- they, thou, thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned. Thy hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. So, you know, again, that would bring to remembrance the images of Isaiah Three, where her hair is balding and she's being stripped of all of her ornaments and and garments. In Ezekiel 16, the eighth chapter, this is where um, we're going to tie together some of that covering and covenant and exchanging of gifts. Now, when I passed thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. I'm going to go over to that covering of the skirt thing in a minute. Um, I covered thy nakedness, yea, I swear unto thee, because this is where the promise is happening, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. To the point where um, we become his is where this binding is happening, this bond is being for this covenant is being established. He's going into her by way of giving her a covenant. Men, for whatever reason, have decided to tell you that if he comes into you sexually, he has done like this really great thing for you. You know, you need to be forever grateful that he gave you the D. But that's <laughs> not what <laughs> that's not what is established. He breakly for um, what our marriages look like. In 9, he said, I washed thee. This goes back to what it said in in 6. I washed thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. The anointing of oil is also um, something that establishes a sacrament between the Most High and usually his priests. This idea of being anointed with oil has to do with the sacrament that's normally associated with the priest. So it's interesting that it's um, placed here. So um, he goes on to say, I clothed thee also with broidered work, shod thee with badges of skin, and girded thee with fine linen, and covered thee with soap. In 11, he says, I decked thee also with ornaments. I put bracelet upon thy, uh, bracelets upon thy hands and a chain on thy neck. So we see again this bracelet. Okay, we, we, we know that Ezekiel is dealing with the Most High and with Israel, and he's dealing again with this covenant. This, this recreation of, a, of marriage is happening before us. She's getting ornaments, she's getting garments, and again, very specifically, he's mentioning these bracelets that we keep talking about. Does anyone have any questions so far? Does anybody know what he's what he's talking about there? I mean, when did he do those things? And, and 
prior to Ezekiel, when did he do that for us? I don't know. This is when um, he's actually describing him taking us out of Egypt, coming out okay. of Egypt, and he's giving us these things. Because when we was in Egypt, we weren't the best people. We were into idolatry. We were we were into a lot of things, and the pollution that he's cleaning us from, when is not a literal. Like washing, when a person accepts the truth, it's like a washing away of transgressions. It's like a washing away of your um, the prior things that you did that was contrary to Torah when you accept it. I'm sorry, Mariana. Because, I mean, it's true that it should be understood as the times when uh, including the time when we were in Egypt uh, and before that, before the Exodus, that these are the things that He's doing with and for us. That He's endowing us with this type of covenant and physical relationship. But it's done more than once, you know, because we we transgress more than once. Oh yeah. And He embraces us more than once. He has to clean us more than once, and He engages us more than once. You know, because again, you know, the first time, because this is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is following the prophet Isaiah, who first tells us, you know, who first gets very graphic about us being stripped of all of these things because we've fallen so much. We're getting stripped of all the things, all the jewels, all the the, the worthiness of, of being clothed in this way and protected in this way. We have been, we've played the harlot. We've done this as a nation. Although um, the men would present Isaiah 3 as being singularly and specifically and uniquely females, you know, these women have done these things and they are the ones that are being stripped. Look at how haughty the women are. Okay, whatever. That's Isaiah 3. Isaiah 2 already establishes that the men are haughty. So, you know, and I guess the expectation is that we can't read and that, you know, we're not going to go and look at Isaiah 2. Isaiah, in Isaiah, the second chapter, clearly says that, it, that, that the men are haughty with their eyes and their behavior, the haughtiness, of the, haughty, the haughtiness of men. But whatever, let's assume that we can't read and that we're all stupid. And Isaiah 3 is just about us. Let's do that. Ezekiel revisits that and reminds us that the Most High has... Um, clothe them, and the hair is grown. I mean, specifically, it even, it even specifically addresses thine hair is grown. I mean, like, I don't, I, Ezekiel just completely parallels everything happening in Isaiah. But I told you and I promised you that we would go back to the spreading of the skirt thing. So what should we go with the spreading of the skirt? Um, does anybody know where else that's mentioned that is probably the most... Um, Familiar, where spreading the skirt is also referenced. You guys being shy? <laughs> I'm not shy. Cut it out, please, hold on. I'm not Been being shy. For Forty I, I, years. I'm not being shy. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. One of the more familiar um, instances. I, oh, I'm sorry. I I have I it just um is it. 
when in Deuteronomy where it's talking about you're not supposed to spread the skirt of your sisters or your your mother or in the law? Is that the skirt that it's talking about? That's she not that's a fear that's a fair conclusion. It's not actually what they're talking about here though, but that's a very, very fair conclusion because that is how um uncovering one's nakedness. Um well, you know what? I guess I guess it could be said that, and 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 I'll show you why. Um, I guess that that could be a fear because the idea that you have uncovered the nakedness of your father by making these um, any number of uh, sexual immoralities are contributed to uncovering the skirt of uh, so and so. With as a skirt is a literal covering. It's literally the covering and the protection. And the way that's illustrated for us um, most in the most familiar context is with Ruth. Does anybody know the story of Ruth? Ruth 3 and 9? Ruth 3 and 9 says... You want me to read it? Yeah. Ruth 3 and 9. And he said, she's talk, he, he is Boaz. Um, first of all, Ruth is... Um, as we know that Ruth's husband died, and his the next, and she's looking for the next akin um, under the guidance of Naomi. And Ruth three and nine, and he said, "Who art thou?" And she answered, "I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Thy thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman." Okay, so what do we think is happening there? In that context, with that with that information, what do you think she's asking him to do? Is she asking him to give her the D? Really good. No, she's asking him to give her. What's really good out of that skirt? Is that no. what she's doing? I think, what she she, I think she's asking for him to be her husband because he's he's her, the next of kin, right? Right. So what is she's asking for him to be a covering? A covering. Right. So she's not asking him for sex. Sex is not going to make them married. Sex is not going to give her protection. Sex is not going to be a covenant for, for her. We saw with Tamar. Tamar had sex with Judah. Not her. She that was not her husband. Sex does not make you marry. She's not going to Boaz and say, "Yo, what's really good? What's under your skirt, bro? Let's do this." She's not doing that. She's not doing that. She says, "Spread your skirt." Exactly the same way that we see the Most High spreads his skirt over us. It gives us a covering. He's giving us his protection. He's spreading his mantle, his cloak, his his robe over us so that it's known that we are under that, man, under that man's protection. She's asking for his protection. And we know this because the context, contextually, all of that is built for you. It says, um, our sister told you that this is under the instruction and guidance of Naomi. Naomi is really smart because they only know the law. She said, go to that man. He owes you. He's obligated to you. The law of the leverage states that a widow has the right to the next of kin. It is her right to get the next of kin to provide for her. He does not have a choice. See, people want to go and say, oh, I'm going to wait for my Boaz. This is the most ridiculous Christian concept I've ever heard in my life. It's crazy. This is not... Um, a, a women's liberation movement, you don't get to go and, oh, I'm going to pick this guy and he's, no, 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 you can't do that. 
Ruth could do it because Ruth was a widow. Ruth was protected under the law of the leveret. The law of the leveret state the law of the leveret is known as the widow's law. She had the right to that man. He didn't have the right to reject her. That's why Naomi said, Go get this guy. And that's what Ruth says to him. She says, Because you're my near kinsman. She she had she had her defense already lined up, dude. This is what you have to do. You're my next kinsman. Fulfill your obligation to me. The only reason why Boaz is shook is because Naomi had been gone for a minute. She didn't know some of everything. He was not her nearest kin. So he tells her, yeah, 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 no, some of that, I can't do that. He couldn't do it. He wasn't in the position to protect her. So Boaz later on goes and finds the nearest of kin because he knows who's closer and negotiates with him and gets the other guy to forfeit, which he does, and that's how Ruth winds up with Boaz. These are all because the law was on her side. Do not go thinking you're somebody's Ruth and this guy is your Boaz. This is, you're not Ruth and that's not Boaz and these are not the laws of the leverage unless this is the uh, nearest kin to your dead husband. Don't think that you can pull a Ruth on people. That's, that's not how it works. Um, but... In terms of uh, Ezekiel and this passage in Ruth, we see that the spreading of the skirt has to do with protecting and giving covering in this very real covenant sense. Does anyone have any questions about that? Now, keep in mind, though, that, like she said, she said that she was his next to Kent, <clears throat> but before he was able to take her, he had to go to, there was another um, next to Kent, and that next to Kent had to deny her first before Boaz was able to um, take her. Right. So everything is in order. When we go to Torah, everything has to be in order. Like Mariana said, you can't just be, you know, doing what you want to do. It, what I found interesting about Ruth also is that the position that she took, she was in a submissive position. She wasn't aggressive with the situation. Right. When he found her. She was laying at his feet. She was in a submissive position. Yeah, she was also in a safe position. There's really no other part of his body that she could lay next to without yeah. actually compromising herself. She's not going to lay it his head. She's not going to lay it his side. She's not going to lay it his back. All that. She's not going to spoon the brother. You know, she's not going to do that. <laughs> she was also in a very sexually safe mm-hmm. position because that wasn't her husband. That was somebody she was approaching. So, yes, there is humility there because she, even though this is her right as a widow, even though this man had obligations to her, she wasn't aggressive. She just said, yo, dude, what's really good? Like, she didn't come at him like that. She did come with humility towards him. And she did come very sexually and modestly aware. She's very aware of the position that she's coming into. She's coming into this man's space. And she doesn't put herself in the position where she's signaling to him that he, she's available to him sexually prematurely. Yeah, at his feet. She's like, I'm coming to you, but we're at this. We're we're at stage one. We're at step one. We're, I'm I'm coming to you at foot level, not penis level. Let's let's calm down. 
Okay, we're going to take this in the appropriate steps. So, yes, it should be understood that she's coming with submission. It should be understood that she's coming with humility, but it should also be understood that she's being very sexually aware and very sexually protective of her space. Even in this even in this period of engaging this man for the purpose of marriage, is that clear? Yes. That's clear. Like that's understood, right? Because I mean, women, women in this pursuit of being married become a little um, less aware, less sexually aware of their limitations, and they they put themselves in positions where they they signal either intentionally or unintentionally to a man that they have sexual rights to their body. Prematurely. And Ruth doesn't do that. In addition to her submissive um, stance and her humility, she's also still protecting her physical space. And and there is no possibility of being sexually misunderstood. Right? One, I'm, this is a little off topic, but since we're on this particular topic, I posted one time about what should be conversation during the betrothal period. Should sex be the conversation of betrothal during the betrothal period? And I was surprised that a lot of the brothers said no because it would be a distraction to what they really need to be talking about. And I was surprised that some of the sisters was like, <laughs> they should talk about mm-hmm. sex. And when I'm talking about talking about sex, I'm talking about different sexual positions. Um, no length. No, no. This is what it's no length and width and breadth. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she wants to talk about And, you know, um, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to throw mm-hmm. your legs this way and that way. That's not appropriate conversation during betrothal. Right. Now, at some point, you do, you should talk about sex, <laughs> in sex in this manner. How many children would you like to have? Um, how many children can you support? Can, how, yeah, how many children can you support? What kind of inheritance do you have set up for these children that you're talking I, about? Inheritance is a big deal in Hebrew culture. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's but, talking about let's go have 19 women so we can have 55 children, but you forget that for all these children that are happening in Scripture, all of them have inheritances. Yep. These are not children that have no inheritance. You don't get to bring children in and say, well, look, I'm going to give you this much of my food stamps and you. That's not the same. <laughs> That's not the same. That it happened in Scripture. <laughs> That's not what it was. All these men that want to have all these babies, they need to have inheritances set up because like, I really can't emphasize this enough. The purpose in Hebraic unions, was not between individuals. It was not to create something for individuals. I like you, you like me, let's... No. It was a, there is, and, and please understand this. I don't care what any... If you don't hear me say anything else, there is no quota. There is no grand Hebraic quota. You have no quota of baby making. There is no... We have to... Uh, what's it called? <laughs> nation building? Get the fuck out of here. First of all, that's not nation building. That's populating. That's that's uh, the repopulation effort. Nation building has something to do with a lot of things that a lot of these people are not prepared to actually invest in. <laughs> the repopulation effort 
I'm going to say about repopulation. Okay, no, no, let's, let's keep it 100. We're all grown. Says everybody, whenever I talk to women, the first thing they want to tell me is how grown they are. Okay, fine, sisters. We're all grown. Let's have this conversation. When you bring children into the world in this Hebraic context, according to our Hebrew culture, those children are entitled to an inheritance. Yep. They're supposed to have it, so much so that it's even regulated. The eldest gets a double portion, and everybody else gets an equal portion after that. Yeah, eldest. So you can't you can't double nothing. Like if you have nothing, you can't double that. <laughs> right. You really can't. Mm-hmm. So you know, granted, we're in a place where we've done the things that we've done before knowing. Fine. Now, I'm not in the position to condemn you. No. And I'm not asking, I'm not trying to condemn you. But what I'm telling you is that now that you, you, once you come into this truth, you come into this life. When you come into the truth, it's not an issue of believing, it's an issue of believing. Are you living this? Once you do this, you have to live this. Bringing children into a Hebrew union means that I understand that each of these souls are entitled to an inheritance. And if the men don't know it, nothing I can do about that. But the women who talk to me for damn sure will. You need to know. You need to be worthy, suitable, appropriate, and meet. And if they don't know, you need to make sure that you lay down those standards. Before I'm going to lay down with you, I'm going to lay down these standards. Before you lay down those wedding sheets, you lay down those standards. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. So, yes, children are important, you know. Strong Hebraic unions are important, but our customs, our traditions, our expectations, these are also important. And these children are deserve an inheritance. And it's easy and it's fun to say, oh, I think spiritual. Spiritual, spiritual spirits are a very powerful thing. You really shouldn't play with them. People keep talking about spiritual like it's a cop-out, it's a loophole. It's my exit strategy. Oh, you know, we don't have a physical covenant, but we have a spiritual one. Game. Game. Mm. All my kids don't have a physical, monetary, or financial inheritance. Oh, but I got them in spirit. No, 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 no. Game. <laughs> oh, I have heard that. Mm. Yeah, of course. All, all of you sisters who knew game when you were in the world, how did you forget what game sounded like when you walked through the door <laughs> of the truth? Um, <laughs> truth. It's like um, he started toting that Bible and that penis, and you forget yes, all about what you, you learned about it. <laughs> they start rubbing that Bible on their penis, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> you like, oh, I know that that sounds familiar, but he he not. <laughs> he <laughs> in Hebrew, so it's different now. He, Hebrew is different now. <laughs> right. But this is the thing: you want to be held accountable when you are doing. When you are now going to commit to an unrighteous man, you're going to have to submit to that unrighteous man. Let me tell you why. Because you knew who he was before you got into this commitment. You're going to have to submit to him. I'm not. <clears throat> so it would be best if a woman in the truth would be very particular about the man that she gets herself involved with. Because mm-hmm. now what, what's happening with a lot of sisters is that they believe that if they make a mistake, it's like being in the world. 
I make a mistake, oh, okay, I'll leave him and I'll go to somebody else. It's not that easy. Now that you know better, you have to do better. You made a covenant, you made a contract, you made some vows. You now. Well, sister, I have a question. Mm -hmm. What, What do you. I'm sorry, go ahead. You were supposed to make sure that you understood what you was getting into, what type of contract, what type of household you was getting into before you actually got into it. Well, what about those sisters who. What about those sisters who didn't know truth and have already made that covenant with that particular type of man and then and now they know truth? What do they what then? Yes, yes, give me a or or I'm sorry. This is Mayana. You asking Mayana? Yes. I'm asking whoever. <laughs> okay, he asked me. This is Mayana. Oh yes. He asked me. Yes. So the law? So in the in once the way I would ask that any sister evaluate any situation is against Torah. If the circumstances that you find yourself in are contrary to Torah, if Torah provides for you to come out of that, then follow those standards and follow those those steps. But don't think that you know. For example, there there are ways to annul, uh, not even annul, to, to become divorced from a, a bad situation or an unlawful situation or unhealthy situation. Anything that's contrary to Torah can, you should and, and must separate from. But these are not easy processes, which is what our sister just said. It's not easy. Like, you don't get to holla do over. It's just not, it's not that. Right. You have to understand the law. And you still, even, even, even though... Torah provides for that type of separation. This you not you don't get to be separated from consequences. You still made those mistakes. You still did that. Yeah. The fact that you get to be physically removed from that per, that particular situation that doesn't mean that you're clean now. Nope. You still have done those things. You participated in those those things. And now that you've learned that those are not Hebraic things, don't think that the Most High forgot that you did it. You still have to go to him and say, "Yo, Daddy, like I really messed up. I need." And you take time. Like, these women who who uh, release themselves from bad situations wind up in new situations within days. We hold oh, yeah. What are you uh, doing? You just can't. Like who does that? Who who goes through a major tragedy and then says, "You know, bump it. I'm gonna do it again." You're not ready. No. You're oh, not my. ready. There's there's. There's a there's a there's a type of death that occurs when you separate from your from your husband because you or from the person that you were with because a lot of these marriages are not marriages and that that's been covered over the last five sessions and you know those of you who understood that and accepted it, accepted it have accepted it but um, once those unions are severed there's a sort of death there these women need time to heal to yeah. mourn to repent. And to relearn, because this is not a this is not an endless session of I'm just going to go through all the men possible until I get it right. Like you just don't do that. You can't. You can't do that. You can't do it for a lot of reasons because you wear out your body, your soul, your spirit. And it's just it's not okay. And frankly, if you're making if you if you're going to make that mistake and then make it again, you're not learning from any of these instances anyway. 
So these women need to stop. I think what the end part, the um, with the takeaway from this is the way that you are selective with the pair of shoes that you buy or the outfit that you buy. Take that consideration <laughs> in how you do you pick your man. Right. Not and like I tell sisters all the time, it doesn't matter that he looks good. It doesn't matter that he um he's a slick talker. What is it that you can do for me? And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's not right. I don't care if that's not right. What can you do for me? What it's can not that it's not right. I don't care if you think it don't sound right. It's right, though. And, and what can you add to my life? Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking along the lines of that, and not that, oh, I, he makes butterflies in my stomach, that's nice. That's all good. <laughs> oh, he makes me... um. You should write. I don't know if your daughter is in the um, room, but I'm not going to say it. But <laughs> feel all tingly. I'm going to say it that way. Um, not about. It's not about that. It's about what can he provide to my life? Is he walking toward her? Is he going to be able to provide? When we have children, is he going to take care of those children? Because if he has four women and eight children, Nine times out of ten, he's not going to make a commitment to you. That's right. And he, if he's not taking care of his eight children, he's not going to take care of the children that you have with him. Right. Exactly. And if he's taking care of him, he ain't going to take care of nobody. He's taking care of him. I don't know why these women. And that's to me, that's 100% fascinating. I'm fascinated by this, 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 this language, the way language is played with in Hebrew culture, fascinated. Because here, here's what I understand. When I hear black men complain that there's a feminist attitude, oh, I don't need no man to, to take care of me, right? That's that's completely unacceptable and extraordinarily feminist when black women say, I don't need no man to, to take care of me, right? That's the worst thing a woman could possibly say. But if a Hebrew woman says, Oh, he doesn't have to do it. I'm gonna take care of my king, and he's not gonna have to blah blah blah. And I, he, he ain't got the words or nothing. I'm gonna take care of him. That's the same thing. She's still saying she doesn't need him yeah. to take care of her, but he doesn't hear that as feminist now because she's saying he, he's, she's calling him king and saying I'm going to do for you. So the problem isn't so much that you don't like that these black women are taking care of themselves. You don't like that they're not taking care of you while they're taking care of themselves. The idea that they don't need you for for protection and taking care of, that's not a problem for you. Because when they say, you don't have to do anything for me, I'll do everything for you, you're fine with it. It's crazy right. to me. Um, but the moment these question. women say, I don't want to take care of my of everything. I do need my man to take care of me. I would love to be under his protection. She's a gold dipper. Something's wrong with her. Hmm. It's crazy That's to me. It's fascinating. I, I have a question. Um, my, my question is it kind of piggybacks on what, what you guys were just talking about. Um, let's say the sister knows exactly what she wants from from the brother as pertaining to their their covenant. And he agrees to all of that. Everything that that she's asking, everything that 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 she wants to put in her covenant, he's agreeing to that. But after the covenant is signed, after it's sealed, after it's done, he goes back on all of that. 
and does a total 360. What is she to do at that point? Is she still to submit to him, even though he's done a complete 360 from what they agreed on? We established in the beginning that if a man does a 180, he's not allowed to do that. The point we we said in the beginning that a man is held accountable for the covenant that he enters into. He's not allowed to not do it. There are consequences mm-hmm. to a covenant. That's why when you create your covenant, you're supposed to include those consequences. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. The most I told us that all the time. If you do this, I'll do this for you. If you don't do this, understand these consequences. <laughs> That's part of our covenant. When the most High gave us a covenant, he gave us covenant and consequences. Thou yep. shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Yeah. And if you do it anyway, this is what's going to happen. That's our covenant vow. Those are the covenant. That's the covenant we have with the Most High. So when you do your covenant, when you have your written instrument, you include this one, the the ketubah, the written instrument, the covenant is supposed to include inheritance, property, consequences. Oh, it's not supposed to be a lot of. I love you, you love me, I will always blah, blah, blah. That's great. sounds beautiful. It's a great thing to put in your verbal vows. and Oh, that's beautiful. You want to write odes to each other? Awesome. But this is a contract. It's a covenant. It's a vow. There are consequences. Yes, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to put my trust in you. If you break these things, these, 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 and this is going to happen. My children in this union are entitled to this, this, and this. The property between us is this, this, and that. This is how it gets allocated. These are the consequences of whatever you do to break them. If I break them, this happens. If you break them, this happens. It's, it, this is what a covenant and a contract is. And, you know, a lot of people want to say, oh, but so love shouldn't be like that. Okay, you know what? You want to go beyond, you know, this is, this is not about you and your heart and your love. Love is something that is earned and built and established yes, yes. between couples that can trust each other. You give, if you're giving away your heart that easily, this is why. Your love should be part of this. Should, it should be a product of trust. It should be a product of, of stability. It should be a, a product of loyalty. How can you love someone that you can't be vulnerable to? You can't be vulnerable to to someone you don't feel safe with. And you don't feel safe with someone who hasn't provided security. <laughs> and you can't. And you, women, particularly black women, have this Disney princess syndrome. They really think that it's supposed to be all about. Love, <laughs> and it's not that those things shouldn't be included, but there's an order to all things. Yeah. There's an order to everything, including love. The, the father even <laughs> told us when everybody, when people say, oh, I love the father, I love the father. The father said, if you love me, then you'll do my commandments. That's right. That's how you show love. If if you love me, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna follow the uh, the contract that we agreed to. Right. That's what you're gonna do. See, that's and that's the difference between Hebrew Israelites and Christians. Christians are all warm and squishy. 
All woman is fleshy Jesus. All God is love, love. It's important to them. The idea that God can be anything other than love is a problem because instantly problematic. What do you mean he doesn't like something? What do you mean he hates things? Those are, those are wildly problematic for the Christian mind because love doesn't have any room for that. But when you look at love in a Hebrew context, there's a lot of order there. It is. A lot of instruction there. Yep. A lot of commandments there. A lot of expectations there. It's not it's not the free for all. This is it's not warm and squishy. It's there's a lot of consequence and a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifice involved in <clears throat> having a loving relationship with our father. A lot of it. I wanna um go to Malachi the second chapter. Uh, I love Malachi the second chapter. Let's go there. Oh, I love Malachi. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't ready for it. Let's do Malachi. <laughs> <clears throat> I think these conferences are for us, sis. I think we're the only ones that really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I can't wait for is when we all get on the same page. And we can have conversations. This is my dream, that mm-hmm. when men come to us sisters, they already know. Those are the sisters that are truly dealing with the most high. Because right. understand Torah backwards and forwards. Now, that's not to say that me and Mariana understand Torah backwards and forwards yet. It's a process. And I just can't wait for that time when brother that comes comes to any of us sisters that they right. would, we need to um watch out because um we can't really mess with them like that. That's we right. To them any kind of way. Like how they have to come to our girl Judas, what? Judas is my girl for that. Y'all need to read about Judas for real. Get your pocket foot together and go see how brothers responded to Judas. Judas. The book is called Judas. You won't miss it. It's called Judas. <laughs> it's even named after our girl. Go find Judas. It's in the Apocrypha, and you see how the men, these are not just any men. These are the men who were the leaders of that time. But Judas said, you know, they went and said something they had no business saying. And Judas said to her servants, she's like, go call them and tell them I said, come here. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Tell them I said, come here. And they came. Don't get it twisted. They showed up. <laughs> Judah said, what? <laughs> they showed up. This was this, this not the fishermen or the butcher. This was the leaders at the time. So we have, Mel- let's start with Malachi 2.1. All right. Let's go Malachi 2 and 1. Yeah, 2.1, yeah. We're going to first start with the, how important in covenants, still keeping in mind, how important covenants are. Because when we came out of Egypt, Mount Sinai, the father took Levi and made and put set him apart. And Levi had a duty. And Levi was supposed to complete that duty because that was the agreement between Levi and the father, that he had the special duty. Two and one. And now, O ye priests... Oh, you know what? I'm going to do it in the NIV version instead of the King James. Okay. Because um, 
I don't know, the NIV gives a more attitude. And then I'm a... <laughs> it does. And now you freeze. This warning is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not resolve to honor my name, says Yahuwah, or Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your oh. festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. These are their consequences. And you will know that I have sent you this morning so that my covenant with Levi, as Yahuwah El Shaddai, or the Lord Almighty, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called, and he reverenced me and stood in awe of my name. This was in the beginning when Levi was following the promise that he made, that he was going to continue to to be that representative for Malachi 2.6. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. People seek instruction from his mouth. That was his duty. But you have turned away, you have turned from the way by your teaching, have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says Yahuwah Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Mm. The mm. law is the law. Partiality. I, <laughs> do not we do we not all have one father? Did mm. not one Elohim create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? So those the father set up, Levi is is going to represent me. Levi's purpose was to make sure the rest of the nation understood Torah. That if there was any questions, you can go to Levi. Because he represented the father, just like Moshe represented the father. So now if Levi is out of order, he is now destroying the rest of the nation by giving them wrong information. By um, Partial information. Sorry, partial information. Then he's destroying the rest of the nation. And he has consequences for that. And that's important because Sister asked earlier, why are the men keeping this information from us? Why are they giving us partial information? This is a consequence of partiality in instruction, partiality in the law. The reason why you have a responsibility to fill in those blanks because that is perfectly possible for the men that are trusted to give us instruction, guidance in the law. But they will at times. And in some cases, 
be extremely partial with it. Right. Are we at 12 yet, sister? Honey. Where's she go? Her call, her line uh, dropped. Her line dropped. This is Shreya. Mm. Uh, I'm looking at it on the screen. She should be calling back in. Okay, okay. But if I could add to a few things, I didn't really catch everything. Times kind of a lot going on on my end um, in the house. Um, what a lot of sisters must do is when you're interacting with brethren. Is the first thing before you get your emotions involved, before you get feelings involved, and you start caring for this young man, is wise to lay all your cards out on the table. Let them know what you're you're expecting. Let them know, you know, up front. Listen, you know, yes, I do want to eat. You know, this is what I require. Thus and thus and thus. If he from the top, you know, saying, well, you know, it's not going to, you know, work that way. We're not going to do things your way. We're not going to this and that. That is your cue to keep it moving. Because mm-hmm. too many times what happens is we start talking to the brother, you know, long periods of time, and then we get emotions involved, and then we start caring for him, and then we start excusing him. Right. We start excusing behaviors. We start excusing statements. We start excusing this and that. And we think that if we make this covenant with this man, that is, he's going to change. Yep. Now, he's laying his cards out on the table. He's exemplifying what it's going to be like. He's mm-hmm. not changing. Mm-hmm. And so he got you to negotiate. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying he brought you to the brought you down to negotiating all of your standards. Exactly. So we must set a standard as daughters of Zion, and we must stick with it by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And if that means being single for a little bit longer, so mm-hmm. be it. Because you would rather be single than be unhappy in an unhappy mm-hmm. relationship. And then you get yourself you know made a cup and you made a vow, and then you have to get out of it and remain unmarried. That's what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things that you sisters would like to, should definitely go interrogate for yourself is the statistics. Very often, the women are confronted with these faux pseudo statistics that say that there are more men in the world, or there are more women in the world than there are men, and those statistics get blown out of proportion. And you think, oh, well, there's this man shortage. Okay, so I'm going to have to negotiate. I'm in, I'm in a weaker position at the negotiation table than he is because the law of supply and demand is going to kick in on me. And, yeah, it's okay to read a book. Go check out the statistics. That's not the case. Worldwide, globally, there are still more men than women. And the Most High created it so that the birth rate, pay attention to what I'm saying now, the birth rate is always there are more boys born globally than women. That's that's checkable. The way the most high set it up is that more boys 
are born than women. Do not fall for the okey-doke that, oh, well, there's this grand man shortage and um, we have to double down, triple down. That's not the case. It's okay to check those stats. Don't. Because something is popular doesn't make it true. Please read. Please investigate. All of those things. There's a period where the numbers do become skewed. And it's, um Usually among seniors, not not women in their in their twenties and thirties, they're not confronted with that kind. Especially when there's no active military um, engagement, there's no war happening, then those numbers don't dwindle as fast. And our military tends to be um, uh, co-ed now, anyway. But anyway, the point is that there is no such crisis, so you don't have to be roped into that. Don't feel like, oh, I have to. I have to um, make concessions because if I don't, I'll lose access to a man because they're just such this this rare commodity that is rapidly becoming extinct. Not the case. Do we have our sister back? (laughs) Yeah, I'm here. Are we at Malachi 12 yet, sis? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Um, did you read Malachi 11? I don't know. I was asking. I was listening to you. I was waiting for Malachi, Malachi 12 to hit. Malachi, no. Malachi 2. Judah has been unfaithful. Um, wait. Yeah. Malachi 2, 11? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. Malachi 2, 11. <clears throat> Do you want me to read the KJV and you read the NIV behind it, or? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. Because the the King James really does it much more justice. Do you, you want to um, start where we're at Malachi 2.11? Yes, please. Malachi 2.11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughters of a strange god. Mm-hmm. You going to read it in Ivy? No. Mm-mm. I want it in King James. This part. Oh, we're going to the King James. Okay. Okay, okay. So you're going to do 12 or should I do 12? You can do. Um, 12. The Lord will cut off the man that does this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offers an offering unto the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Consequences. <clears throat> and this have ye done again. So we don't want to listen. This have ye done again. Again. <laughs> Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Ah, this is my favorite part. Oh, yeah. I don't know what's going on. What's going on? (laughs) Yet you say, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Mm. Mm. Mm, uh, no, they're no. still the plea. They're still the plea. That, that can't and be. 
<laughs> and did he not make one? Yet he the residue of the spirit yet yet has he the residue of the spirit. And wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You know with that passage right there, that script two fifteen. Uh, yeah, love it. What do you all see with that? And did not he make one? Yes, the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Does anybody know what the word wherefore means? So you know, like I, I guess, like probably for most of us, our first introduction to the word "wherefore" was like in Romeo and Juliet. You know, "Wherefore art thou, Romeo?" And uh, I remember, I remember that being a problem for people. "Wherefore" means why. When Juliet is asking about Romeo, she says she's asking him why is he Romeo because that was a problem. Not where, like where in the world was he? Like where's Waldo? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? She wants to know why. Why did he have to, of all people, why did he have to be Romeo? And this is what the most, this is what's happening in this verse. It's saying, wherefore, why did the Most High create one? Mm. Why did he do this? Not where or, you know, wherefore, it's why. This word, that's a problem with Keaton. Actually, it's not a problem for me because I studied this. Uh, but for people who are very adamant about the 1611, let's do this. You have no idea what these words mean, so that's why you lose half of what's going on. That's why you have men telling you that the most high may helpmates and playmates and because they don't know what the word meat means. Meat is a very old British word, and it has a specific meaning. Wherefore is an old word as well, and it means why. Now, now with the understanding of what Wherefore means, do you see why why changes your understanding of that verse? Mm-hmm. Why? Why did he create one? So that you would have a godly seed. This is, one is, is so that there's not that confusion. You don't get to, we know before, mm-hmm. the most high established, you can't sow diverse seeds. I don't want you doing that. I don't right. want you mixing seeds. I don't want you mixing fabrics. I don't, why? so that you can have a godly seed. Mm. Wherefore? So that you can have this godly seed. Mm. That's what wherefore means. When the father, the initial thing, the father created man and woman. Mm. They were acceptable to one another. That's how he intended it. And from that man, that particular man and that particular woman, there was supposed to come offspring that follow Torah so that you can have a godly seed. Mm-hmm. Not all the craziness that goes on, but there was a purpose, and you dealt treacherously with um, with your, the wife of your youth, the wife of your covenant. Mm. This is the woman that I gave you. And treacherously yeah. doesn't just mean mean it. Like, you know, the reason our sister read it originally from the NIV is because it gave you a different ex- it gives you a clarity. Treacherously means unfaithfully. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You dealt unfaithfully with the wife of your youth. 
So this idea that he can go and talk all around the world and, you know, you really have no say, this, this idea of being unfaithful to you is, is important. It's expressed in Malachi. You don't get to be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Don't let them fool you. Don't let them fool you. Because they will let you let them. You know what, what, by um, them, I don't mean the men. By them, I mean the adversary. Mm. Okay? Because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding that, oh, the men are, are the, the reason why. It's not the men, because it's not all the men. No. It's the fact that we have this adversarial influence. The adversary is still very, very active. The, the adversary is still very, very invested in yep. us not getting this right. Exactly. And it's not that the men are malicious. It's that the men are the ones that are on the front line. So the men are getting it first. And they're bringing it back to us tainted because they received it tainted. They're not maliciously out to destroy us, not all of them. So when I say they, like this is not a attack on the men. It's an attack on the spirit that is attacking our men. Right. Is that clear to you? Yes. Yeah, and that's why she said this This has to be clear because we're not male bashing. We're not doing that. There are some men that are really not for the benefit of nation building, of Israel. There are a lot, there's more men than I care to admit. There are some men that are. They are truly trying to, to make these corrections that their other brothers have um messed up. Get all the cereal right now. Get it up. Um we didn't finish that, did we? Nope. Oh, okay. So we're we on sixteen, right? Yes. For Yahuwah or for the Lord the God of Israel says that he hateth putting away for one coven, one covereth violence with the garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Take heed that you deal not treacherously. He said that these men, these particular men, dealt treacherously with the the wife of their youth, the woman that they had a covenant with. So take heed that you deal not treacherously. You need to look up that word. Covered. Uh, cover it. Kasa, to conceal. Okay. I just... Um, I just loved to, I just needed to read that one. Really needed to read that one. Which word did you find? Um, Kasai, the covereth, to conceal. What was the Hebrew number? Um, The Hebrew number is, um, I'm not, I went back somewhere else. The Hebrew number for Kasai was, um,
take a look it up. Don't worry about it, since I look it up right quick. Oh, it, I'm sorry. It was 3680. 3680? Yes. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to finish Malachi. Um, so Malachi 2.17, ye have wearied Yahuwah with your words. Yet say ye, wherein have we wearied him? When I when when I read this, it's like Israel got a lot of nerve. Really, really? for real. <laughs> Where you have wearied me? Where have we wearied you? <laughs> when you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of Yahuwah, and the and he delighteth in them, or where is Elohim, the Elohim of judgment? Hmm. <laughs> Israel has a lot of nerve. Indeed. A lot of nerve. Is there any questions or anything anyone wants to add? You know, I do want to show that in Malachi twenty um Malachi two sixteen, there is similar language to what we were interrogating earlier when we were discussing um, spreading the skirt, there's a similar phrase in Malachi 2.16 where he says that he covers violence with his garment. There's that similar um, intent that is intimated with that language there. Covering and garment is repeated there too. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Are are we giving you guys too much information, not enough information? Are you falling asleep? No, not falling asleep. (laughs) You Shariah? I guess she on the just on the computer. I'm here. Oh, okay. Hallelujah. Did you ask me something? No. Just kind of a roll call. A roll call. Yeah, I I just want to just encourage the sisters out there. I mean, there are some good brothers out there. Oh, yeah. And, we're. I mean, we're really not, you know, because I know a lot of times, you know, we focus on um, things that you need to be aware of and, um, you know, Yahoo, I will, and in the future, you know, we hopefully focus on some more um, – you know, positive things as far as what to look for, you know, in these brethren. But um, the the main thing is you really need to stay prayed up. And I know the sisters have said this time and time again, it's mm-hmm. the relationship with the Most High. Yahuwah will lead and he will guide you um, in, you know, the right person and what to look for and, and what to, you know, um, turn away from. And so just be encouraged. Uh, I just wanted to just leave you all with that. Good. Yeah, like we said before, um, there are, like you should stated, there are some good brothers. Um, you just have to take your time to, to find that good brother and not be accepting of anything that just comes your way. The reason why we speak.
speak so much about the brothers that are out there that are not good for the sisters is because a lot of times me and Mariana are doing counseling, a lot of counseling, and this after the fact when these women find out that these men are not good. Um, and when they see there were signs showing, but she didn't, She like Yushara, I heard Yushara talking before, we choose to ignore those signs. Because, you know, you've been talking to them for a while and, and, you know, emotions get all involved. This is one of the reasons why we um, revisit these types of questions, these types of conversations. Mostly because you're, a lot of women are new into this truth, so they don't know exactly what to look for. What, what they're finding at first glance is that... Um, they're hearing the rhetoric that the street teaching Israelites um, oh, talk. Yes. So that's what why we keep reiterating why what to watch out for. That there's a lot of brothers out there that don't mean you good. You need to know that so you don't fall into a point where now you you have to make a phone call and now we have to do counseling and we have to do prayer and things like that. We want to try to alleviate that as much as possible. Yes. As we discussed before in other conference, the things, the good things that the men are supposed to mimic, and there are some men, and that I've even met, even um, before I came into the wall, they mimic those things of what a good man is supposed to be. So we're not. Um, it's not to just focus on the men that are bad, because there are some good men in Israel. There truly is. And we try to emphasize what you need to do for yourselves more so than what they're not doing or what they might say. Like, we're just telling you a lot of what you're supposed to be um, establishing for yourself for a number of reasons. But one of them being, as we said before, is that what we hear a lot, what prevents us from doing preventative things is that, Women are very wrapped up in being grown. They don't want to hear anything when they're pursuing these guys, no matter what we say, no matter how well we say it. Even if we could put, I mean, we'll put pretty pictures in everything, and the women will still tell us how grown they are. We would suggest um, involving elders, involving other people, but no, these women are grown. So what we try to do is equip all of these grown women with appropriate information because they're not going to take elders with them. They don't they they half the time they don't even take what we say with them. So if they study on their own, are are becoming learned on their own, at least in this area, then they can take their grown selves with a lot of informed position behind them. And this is this is the reality because even though it's perfectly Hebraic to depend on an elder. Perfect. I mean, not only is it Hebraic, it's this wisdom, I mean, this incredible wisdom into not going into these things alone. For all the reasons that we mentioned, it's never been an individual um, process. You're not supposed to go into it alone. But we're all new to this, and everyone goes into this at different stages, which is another reason why we emphasize stages. But, again, not every woman is patient enough to observe those uh, steps. So we try very, very hard to at least equip these 
women because we understand that you're adults. So we understand that there's a certain degree of autonomy and agency that you want to have when it comes to constructing these unions. We understand it. So we're trying to, uh, to, to accommodate as much as we can. So it's not, again, the point of me saying all this is that we're not trying to uh, paint the men with any kind of bad brushes. We're just trying to armor up the women who are who are otherwise going in completely disarmed and, and without any information or bad information. Yep, exactly. Does anyone have any questions before we um, go ahead and wrap this up? Or do you want to talk about anything? This is probably going to be the last conference on this topic, um, although we leave the forum open and you can always revisit it in the forum. But in terms of having us on the phone with you to explore this specific topic, I think, and let me correct if I'm wrong, this is the last installment for this particular topic. Okay, well, I have a quick question. Okay. <laughs> I, I have a quick question. I'm going back to... Like, say, for instance, I'm just going to, you know, just lay it out there, you know, my situation. I'm learning Torah, and, you know, I'm very, you know, it's very fresh to me, you know, but my husband, you know, listens to what I'm saying, but, you know, like, he doesn't pick up the book. He doesn't read, you know, it's why I'm doing all the learning and everything and he's doing all the listening and what do you do in that situation like if you feel as though okay I'm saying all these things and you're you're saying okay and you're reading all these things but you're still not you know picking it up and you're still not reading it like you don't read on your own and this and that and that and this like are you faking just saying okay because I'm your wife or you try not to, you know, cause strife or something like that. Like, what do you do in that sense when you've already have a mate that you've been with for twenty years? Uh, can I, may I? Can I? Sure. Um, the first thing that you must do is you need to pray for him. Um, if you have a man, because I, I I wanted to address this question earlier, because you were, I think it was you asking, you know, if you have, yes. you know, before you came into the truth, and you after, but you come into truth, what do you do? If you have a husband uh, that you made a vow with before you came into the knowledge of the truth, that vow still stands. Right. If that man is taking care of you and he's not keeping you from serving your Elohim, mm-hmm. you are committed to stay with this man. Right, because I have no desire to. I have no desire to to leave or or try mm-hmm. to find a way or anything. I want to. I want this to be a together, a together type thing. What you what you're mm-hmm. gonna have to do is you're gonna have to be a light to him. If right. you, if you're in a situation, um, you're really trying to appeal to him. You want to show him the truth, and he he could be listening, and it it really just not may not be registering right now, but that does not mean that it will. I mean that it won't. Mm-hmm. Time. 
as he sees your light and he sees your life and he sees that you have come into this truth and you're still submitted to him and you still love him and you still cook for him and clean and do the things that you're supposed to do as a wife, that would give him an open ear to hear more or to learn more. Um, you, you're just going to have to, you know, give him a little bit at a time. I mean, at least he's listening. Some men, we, I don't want to hear that. Don't don't bring that. Uh, to mm-hmm. I want to hear that. Oh, yeah. If he's listening, that's good. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Because when right. I when I'm on when I'm reading something that Mayana has said, I read the whole thing. I have to read the whole house has to come. And <laughs> y'all need to hear this and listen to this. And he and he, you know, he turns the TV down and he listens. So I understand what you're saying, sister. Like yeah, so I, be patient with him because that that's a good sign, sister. He may not be moving as fast as you would like, but that's definitely a good sign. And um, again, just be a light before him and a witness before him and. And do all your your good wifely duties, and, and right. still you know treat him with love and respect. If he don't want to hear, don't get an attitude. So that would definitely deter him, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? Love him and respect him, and and all that good stuff. Hallelujah, Hua. Right. What I wanted to add to that is that I hear you when you say that, you know, you're expressing all these things, you're showing him all these things, but what you're not seeing is the study. The study is right. is is a, is a great indicator. It really is. But more than that, it's the doing. Like I said before, believing is one thing, but be living is another. And if he is demonstrating, even if he isn't studying, the demonstration is more important what he does, what his deeds are, what he mm. shows you, his commitment to you. Those things are the most high showing through him. Right. You so can you mean find like, a lot of men who can recite these scriptures backwards and forward, but you won't know anything about <laughs> that by their life. Now, there exactly. are men that are studying, studying all day to the point that they, they, they use studying as an excuse not to work, honey. So don't go, don't come to him. Don't look down on his progress because it's not in the form of study. Right, because, like, we don't, like, when I said, okay, we can't celebrate none of these pagan holidays, we didn't eat no pork, and he was like, okay. okay. <laughs> I read it to him, and he was like, Okay, like, we don't eat pork anymore. We don't celebrate any of these pagan holidays. We don't do, like, a lot of the things that I learned, it's like he, he he's like, okay. So, I, well, okay. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Right. He, he's, he's, he is setting a standard. You know, even though you're, you're the one who's bringing it up, he's setting the standard. He's keeping the pace. He's saying, okay, well, these are the laws. I'm going to keep them. The head of the household is keeping the law. It doesn't matter who brought it. Because whenever you understand this, and I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, when a woman speaks from Torah, it's not her authority that speaks. It's the Most High authority that speaks. He's not following you. He's following the Most High. Right. So the fact that you brought it to him, that's not for you. That's the Most High used you to bring it to him, and he is the one establishing and setting the pace. Because if your husband was pushing against you right now, that's that, that was the whole household at the time. The kids don't right. know what to do because the husband's enough. The husband, is, he is still setting the pace. He's still saying, okay, the the person that the most high put here to be meek, suitable, and appropriate help for me has revealed this. And he's setting the pace. He's setting the tone, keeping it together. If he wanted to celebrate Christmas and you didn't, that's strife in that house because them kids won't get somebody to explain something to them because daddy said it's okay. But right. daddy's not. You are in the kitchen. You could. There's no pork in my house. There's no shelf food in my house. There's nothing unleavened when there's when there's time for there to be no unleavened. You are you are creating and and main, no, you are upholding 
order in the house, but he's maintaining it. Hmm. You understand? And that's that's right. Or your job is to uphold. His job is to maintain. The Most High job is to set. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everything is happening in order. Don't get discouraged when it doesn't look like what you expect it to look like. Mm. Right. That right. Sense, anybody? That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Perfect sense. Okay. Thank you. That was well. I'm gonna go give him a big old kiss. You're <laughs> off of here. You should. <laughs> I am That's going to. Should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, when we have good men, we have to show them that we appreciate them. That's right. That's right. That's right. We have right. to encourage them and strengthen them. Right. And a lot of the times, see, I, I didn't have sisters before to ask these questions. And, you know, you know, sometimes you get some brothers, you know, that'll that'll say, oh, well, you know, did you have to leave that man or you have to, or if he's not studying and, and you, you know, have him call us and yada, yada, yada. Oh. And my husband was like, I'm not. I don't want to join no camp. And when I tell them that, they like, well, he's not right and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I don't want to join no camp. Well, you're not right either. <laughs> so it's just like I understand now. It's like the most high is revealing everything to me, and, you know, I'm spreading it. And yeah. he's maintaining it. Because you're right. Because if he would have said, uh, "I'm going to, um, I'm eating a pork chop," like it was like when I said it, and I was like showing him everything, he was like, "Oh, I'm done with that." Like, and and it really like now it disgusts him. Like he he, it's not going down. So that's perfect. One one thing, um, because I know a lot, a lot of sisters and brothers, they they feel that things should always go in order. Right. But when things are chaotic and out of order, sometimes things might appear on the surface that they're not right, which they may not be. But at the end, it turns back right. It goes back into order. Normally, yeah, the the man, she's maintaining and he's bringing the information to her. Normally, yes. But since it's not that way, but he's being receptive of it. Right. Because he he's not like um the other sisters said he's not rejecting it, right? And the father is using you to get right. to. Him. So then once once the it all is said and done, then things go back to the way that it's supposed to be in in, in the order that it's supposed to be. But for now, sometimes we have to deal with things that's not normally what we see in scriptures. Well, to be fair, I mean, to be fair, this is not necessarily not order because the idea that women are taught by men, that's not Hebraic. Because consider this, who taught Sarah? Sarah grew up Hebrew. You know what I'm saying? All these women grew up with it. It's not that they were unaware of the law. They had no idea what was going on until some husband came along and updated them on what they've been missing all their life. They were in Hebrew households. Their fathers taught them, their mothers taught them, their mothers, their sisters, their aunts, and their grandmothers. They all got together and prepared that woman before she walked into anybody's house. She had a Hebrew identity first. She wasn't learning on the job. So the idea that you um, are coming in as an informed Hebrew woman is not something. You are supposed to be an informed Hebrew woman. Ideally, he would have been an informed Hebrew man already, but he isn't. 
you know, such is the case. You know, it's not it's not a bad thing that you are the informed one. It's not the out of order thing that you are the informed one. It's not the ideal thing because ideally everybody would be invested Hebraically in understanding our culture. He just isn't. Um, but it's not out of order for you to know. It's just uh, not balanced. You know, that's where the I'm idea of being out of order is coming. Bad thing. What I'm saying is that this is not a normal. This is not how it was intended to be. But right. even things and that's not done in the way that it was intended to be is agreed. It's okay until it gets back to the way that it was intended to be. I agree. I was just giving clarity because we, we use, because we, I understand how you intended it, but I also know that these words of um, order and out of order are used in these other contexts. And so right, yes. this, I didn't want her to, to borrow all of the ways that it had been previously used to understand what you're saying in this context because it would skew it. Just like when I gave the definition for wherefore, when we hear wherefore, we have certain assumptions about what it means because of how we accepted it in another context. But when you understand what's really being said, when you hear that word, it has a different meaning so you understand it better so that now that you have the appropriate reference, you can put it in the appropriate context before you have to unlearn the previous reference. I agree. Agreed. Yeah, but it's a blessing though that he is um, definitely listening to you because there's, there's a lot of husbands when their wives come to them with that, like Yeshua said, they don't want to hear it. No, right? Because I right because I, I asked my parents. I said, you know, Dad, you know, my dad, he is so he's getting old and you know he just had breast cancer and stuff like that. So, you know, I just feel really compelled to like at least tell him, you know, what I know. You know, mm-hmm. and I've I asked my parents, I'm like, Can I get an hour of your time? You know, just, just one hour and I I mean it's been months and months and months. It's just ugh. I'm just so frustrated because 'cause I'm the only one other than who's in my household and my whole entire family who believes in, in, in this truth. So I understand what you're saying as far as like if he at least listening, if if he's listening and he's not rejecting it. You know, mm-hmm. that's a blessing because, you know, my, even my own father listening. is not listening. He's right? living it. He's not reading about it. He's not studying it. He's living it. That's important. That's a really, it's huge. That's right. It's huge. You know, it's, it's, be very careful not to underscore that. I'm glad right. that the first instinct was to let me go give him a hug and a kiss. Absolutely wrap him up and encourage him. Totally envelop him in that, you know, just because he needs that. Especially right. if, if you've been walking around with the spirit of I'm alone, no one's doing this but me, I'm, you know, that, that he feels that, but he's saying anything about it. You don't want to isolate your husband in that. Like, he's actively participating, even if he's not doing it in the way that you were hoping to see it. So it's great that the, your first instinct was, let me go and hug him. Let me pull him into this because I'm not alone. He's 100% supporting me in this. And, and, and not even that he's supporting you, but you're supporting him because he's the one that's actively setting the pace. Right, and I'm noticing, like, little things. Like, when I said I'm about to get on this conference with the sisters, he, like, totally turned the TV down, made everybody be quiet. <laughs> oh, you know, he's just... Normally, um... Amazing. The husbands, they don't really like for sisters to talk to other sisters. 
a, a lot of some husbands don't like that because there's an interruption they say into their household. So wow, that's um, you, you can't ask for anything else more. You really can't. That's really amazing, sis. That's really really amazing, and I'm I'm so incredibly thrilled that you have that. A lot of sisters don't have that. This should be and, so much worse for you right now. And then I I just wanted to say something. It's like the Most High. It's like he's, I don't know, it's like he's intentionally keeping him at bay. Not saying that he's keeping him away from from the other men or whatever, but it's just like if I ask him, like if I say, well, one of the brothers has said that they're coming down from Georgia or something like that and they know somebody here in Dayton, you know, I get excited when I hear, oh, my God, I'm not the only Hebrew in Dayton. <laughs> Like in the whole city, I get really excited about that, but then I have to be careful because a lot of the times the most high I put in my spirit, like, no, you're not going over there. Right. So he'll say, no, you're not going over there. And then my whole desire to meet these, these other Hebrews are, is gone. Like it is oh. done. And my husband has no desire. When I say he has no desire to talk to, any of the brothers who like, because I've learned through truth by watching what you said, the videos and, and, you know, the camps and stuff like that. But it's like when I found Mayana, it was like a whole nother world. It was like a whole nother piece of film was taken off of my eyes again from the first time. The first time it felt like somebody hit me in the head with a brick like, girl, where you been? And then the <laughs> second one was where I met her and I was like, Who is this lady that has me picking up this dictionary every time I have to <laughs> read what she's saying? And and it just interests me because I'm a reader and I then the film came off, but it's just crazy to me. It's not even crazy. It's like it feels like a blessing to me that he has no desire to meet these other men. And I don't know if it's the most high or like you, you know, sheltering him or sheltering us together or something like that. But it's like everything that we're learning, we're learning like in this house. Through do strict do straight strict scripture, or I'm gonna be honest with you, through the sister group, through mm-hmm. the things that you guys post while I be at work with my legs shaking, thinking all day like, okay, I can't wait to get home to look in the Facebook to see <laughs> what they have posted. Like where I'm like, where is lesson? Two, three, four, five, six. Like, I get, like, frustrated sometimes, but I, I know I have to be patient. But it's like when I'm getting ready to talk about it, he, like, turns everything down, and he's, like, really listening. So I'm glad I really asked the question again because I was sitting on the bed, like, with my legs shaking. I'm like, okay, do I ask the question again? Do I ask it? But I'm really glad that I did because now I know all this time he has been with me the whole way. Yeah. He hasn't been against me. Oh, praise Abba for that. So thank Any, you guys. Anyone else have um anything else to say or a question to ask? Well, I guess I'm gonna have to be clicking out listens a little faster now that uh <laughs> <laughs> I found that out. I guess I have to crank that out a little bit. Yeah, because I'm reading stuff over and over again, but which is good though, because you know I go back and I read and I understand something that I didn't understand before. So you know. Um, you guys can post questions. It. If you post questions on either on you or myself, we'll do our very best to answer them and in some cases create lessons for you guys to preserve. Um, I'm trying to write more because 
I get often kind of criticized because I, I tend to say to myself and answer just what people ask of me. I'm not a really big poster unless a question is directed to me. Uh, I'm trying not to be so uh, isolated because this is getting a little frustrated with me for that. Well, you're not isolated <laughs> over here because I have me. a good printer. I have a good printer, and I put it off a whole lot of stuff and pass it around to other, you know, sisters, sisters that I still am friends with who are still in the church, you know, mm. so, and they are coming to me like, um, I just read this and, oh, my goodness, so I don't know what you're doing. Yay, I would be praised. That's what's up. Because <laughs> <laughs> Odie laughs at me. She's like, your mind, what you doing? I'm like, chilling. <laughs> like every time, what you doing? I'm chilling. And that's all I'm ever doing is chilling. Like, we can do like something. I'm like, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I can get, get to reading. Even though I read it in like two minutes. But chill. Yeah, it got to the point now when she, now she goes, Oni, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm chilling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but all right, well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. All right, Shabbat Shalom. Till the next time, ladies. All right, bye-bye, you guys. Bye.